Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, Jesus has been busy preaching quite a bit leading up into this text in Matthew. So this is Matthew 8, and you have to remember the the immediate context that this is falling on. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus's great sermon, the so-called Sermon on the Mount, where he's been preaching about the, the coming of the kingdom and the life lived in Christ and all of these things. And After that, there's a couple of things that that happens. One, you have all of these crowds that start coming to Jesus, seeking to be healed by him. And two, the crowds listen to his teaching, and they are astonished because he teaches them as one who has authority and not as the scribes. And these two things come into a head then in this gospel text, where you have two events back to back. And they're bound together, it turns out, in a really marvelous way. So you have first, you have the leper coming up to Jesus and crying out to him and saying, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus then uh, grabs a hold of him. I I think, I don't remember exactly how the text translates it for you guys, but uh, the the word there uh, isn't like summoning him or anything like that, but it's, it's kind of this almost violent sort of thing where Jesus like grabs him by the arm and pulls him over to him, which is wonderful because that's not what you do normally with a leper right? Uh, Lepers were always uh, disassociated, separated from the rest of society. They had to have their own colonies. They couldn't be touched by anyone, which is maybe a side note to this, just to imagine how wonderful this would have been for this leper um, to to consider how long it likely had been since he had felt the, the touch of another human being. And here is Jesus grabbing him and bringing him to himself so that he would heal him. And Jesus says these great words, I will, it is my will, be clean. And at those words, the leper is cleansed and he's told to go to the priest and show himself and all these things according to the law of Moses. So that's the first account. And then immediately on the heels of that, somebody else comes up to Jesus. This time it's the centurion. I don't know that you can get a a bigger uh, difference between these two guys. First, a leper comes up and then a centurion who who would have been... um, a very important person. Centurion, if you don't know, uh, they get their name for being in charge of around 100 soldiers. Um, In in a different account, it seems that this is the one uh, that the the Jews praise highly because he has helped uh, to build them the synagogue in that area. And so he's well beloved both by uh, by the Romans, by virtue of his position, and by the Jews, by virtue of how he's treated the the Jews in that area in Capernaum. And he comes up and he pleads with Jesus to heal not himself, but his servant. Uh, And Jesus says, okay, fine, let's go. And then the centurion says, no, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, which is part of this great confession of faith that the centurion gives. Rather, simply speak the word and he will be healed. And then he gives this great analogy. He says, I know how this goes. 
I too am a man set in authority. I too can command things to happen. I can tell one of my servants to go over there and they go over there. I can tell one to come over here and they come over here. I can tell them to do whatever and they, and they do it. There's a problem. This has ceased to work for the centurion. He can no longer command his servant who is paralyzed to do anything. Well, he can, but it doesn't work. The, the efficacy of his own words have run up against their limit. He needs somebody else to speak. He needs somebody else to heal his servant. And, and he knows that it only takes a word for this to happen. And Jesus commends his, his faith. There, there's only one other that Jesus commends this way, and it's the, the woman that comes up to him uh, with the, the great discharge of blood. And both of them come up to him in prayer, which is very indicative of what Jesus is praising here. And Jesus says, let it be done according to your faith. Let it be done as you believe. And his servants healed instantly. Now, like I said, there is something that links these two together, but we're not going to get there quite yet because we need to pause for a minute and be reminded there is a danger with texts like this. Anytime we run up to the miracles, especially by Jesus, there is a danger that's sitting there uh, for them. And I, I wrote out four. There's probably more. But these are the four, at least, that are, that are floating around in my head. And the first is this, that, um, that we think that the miracles in the scriptures are just broadly promised, that they're what we would call proscriptive instead of descriptive. The miracles are descriptive of what the Lord is doing in the lives of different people. But they're not promised. The Lord does not promise to do these things. That's part of why they're surprising when he actually does them. And they're not given to us for them to be a promise to us either. The reason why they're written for us, the reason why we read a bunch of these during the season of Epiphany, is because they are unveiling the glory and divinity of Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what he was doing last week. We heard that expressly in the text at the wedding of Cana. This, the first of his signs, Jesus uh, did at... uh, at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. That's, that's why they're written, fundamentally. So that's the, the first danger. That's kind of a subtle danger. The next danger that kind of ends up hitting us a little bit closer to home is that we are tempted to believe that if these sorts of miracles, the ones that we expressly see in the scriptures, are not happening among us, either at all or especially on a regular basis, that we are somehow not being blessed by the Lord, because those things aren't happening. And that's just simply not true, as, as we'll hear. Connected to that, then, that, that's kind of the, the, from the outside, there is, unfortunately, even a strain of this that comes within the body of Christ itself. And that is that you will have sometimes the accusation that if these miracles are not happening, if people are not being uh, miraculously healed, especially in the divine services, uh, or being raised from the dead, or any of these sorts of uh, the things that Jesus is doing, that somehow that is indicative of not having the Holy Spirit present within a congregation or the Christians that are there. And that is, that is simply wrong, and that is really quite an awful thing uh, to confess about a brother or sister in Christ. But maybe worse than all of that is the thing that just sits in the back of our mind, and, and we have to kind of dig to get there, and that is the idea that we need these miracles because the physical things of this life are the most important things of this life. That the physical healings, the physical resurrections, all these, like everything that Jesus is doing physically, healing this leper, healing the centurion's servant, 
uh, raising Lazarus later on, all these sorts of things, that those are the most important things. And like we talked about last time, those are not the most important things. That's not what the Lord is most concerned about. That's not even why he's there. He, he doesn't go and seek out. This is an important note. He does not go and seek out people to heal. They come to him, and the Lord just never denies them. And that's a, that's a different thing, because that's not his chief purpose while he's there. We aren't going to necessarily have these same miracles. Now, that, that is not to say that these don't happen. They do. I have seen them. Many of you have probably seen them as well in various forms. But they're not promised. Instead, we have, in fact, greater miracles that are given to us on a much more regular basis, so much so that we just stop thinking about them as miracles, and they are actually promised to us. And you can see this, for example, in the, in the text with the uh, paralytic, where the paralytic gets let, let down through the roof. And what, is, what does Jesus say when he, uh, when he forgives his sins? Everybody kind of gasps. And he says, what, what's easier to say? Rise, take up your bed and walk, or your sins are forgiven? And obviously, the easier one to say is your sins are forgiven because you can't see if it's working. And we've talked about that. But this is the point. The, the more important thing is what Jesus is hitting on. And this is then the thing that binds these two texts together. And it's what Jesus says to the disciples uh, when he goes to wash their feet. And, and Peter says, uh, not just my feet, but my whole body also. And Jesus responds that you are already clean by the word that I have spoken to you. That's the thing that's going to make the miracle. That's the thing that's going to be sitting there with all these Thing, all the miracles that the Lord gives to us all the time, and the thing that he promises to us as well. So you've got these two things, the, the, these two uh, aspects of the guys that come up. With, with the first one, you have leprosy, which in the scriptures ends up being a stand-in for sin and uncleanliness and being separated from God, not just from people, but from God himself. And on the other hand, you have the centurion who drives us to this confession of God's word, which forgives and cleanses and unites us to Christ as his brother, or him being our brother, I guess. And it turns out that in this, the great reality is that we don't need Jesus's physical touch, which is good because he's not standing in here. What we need is his word, and that can go everywhere. That can traverse across the oceans, that can go across continents, that can even move throughout time. And so we can be sitting here today in Lawrence, Kansas, 2,000 years after the events that we just heard, and still have the same promises. And this is where the miracles are. The first and foremost is your faith. And we should not forget this, that faith is a miracle. It shouldn't happen. We should be shocked that there is a single Christian that exists in the entirety of the earth. And yet, there's like a whole bunch of them sitting right here. There's a whole bunch elsewhere. And God be praised for that. But that is a miracle that is brought about by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And we should never forget that. But we have even more. You have also your baptism, which is the miracle of you being washed by water and the Word. And you have the Holy Supper of our Lord, which is the miracle of him giving you his very body and his very blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of your love 
And you have the miracle of Jesus' own death and resurrection for your sake, where he stands in the breach between the wrath of God and you, so that he becomes the, the object of God's wrath instead of you, and you are declared to be righteous in his stead. And you have the, the miracle of your resurrection in Christ, both in your baptism spiritually and on the last day. And you have the greatest miracle, and that's the gift of eternal life on the last day. All of these things. And there's one more. Maybe, maybe you thought I forgot it. I didn't. I just wanted to save it to the end. And that is the, the miracle of the absolution. And the reason this is, I've saved this to the end is because it brings in what Jesus says to the centurion. Let it be done for you as you believe. And it turns out that that is the exact same words that you will hear from me or whatever pastor if you come to private absolution. You can look it up in your hymnal. We've talked about it before. But you can look it up there. You confess your sins. And one of the chief responses of the pastor is, let it be for you as you believe. We make the exact same confession. And that is a wonderful gift that the Lord gives to us. That Jesus speaks, and it's done. So Jesus speaks to you in your sin, and he tells you you are forgiven, and you are forgiven. It accomplishes that reality. It's true. And he speaks to all those who are bond, in bondage to the devil, all of us who have been in bondage to the devil, and he says, you are set free in Christ, and it sets you free. And he speaks to the damned, and he says, you are saved, and you're saved. And he speaks to the ashamed, those with shame in their lives, and he says, you are covered with the righteousness of Christ. And he speaks to the fearful, and he says, heaven is open to you, do not fear. And he speaks to the dying, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus isn't done speaking. He continues to do so today, but he will do so, especially on the last day, where he will say two very important things to us. He will say to our graves, be opened. And he will say to us, to our bodies, come, sit with me in the eternal banquet. Simply speak the word, and it's done. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.